Hello, welcome to Influencers Cafe. Today on the show, special treat for you, Alan Ross is such a good, uh, was such a good guest the other day that we're having him on straight away again. How's it going today, Alan? Very well, because thank you for bringing me back on your podcast, Influencers Cafe. I believe it's a tremendous um, mechanism you have there, a place where not only minds can meet, but open minds can meet and learn from one another. Yeah, it's it's like it's just, it's really rewarding doing this podcast. So I, was, I was on the cycle and I met a couple of Austrians on the bike the other day, and I was just chatting to them. But I've probably never seen them again. But I did say to one of the guys, you know, check out the podcast, and then they can go and check it out, and they can almost like get to know me without me actually being there. So eventually, if they, if I do come to Austria, I said around about their time they can contact me and say hey come for a team we've got a bit of comradeship there so it's a nice way to make introductions to people if you have a podcast I think. that's clever well done you yeah so you uh at the last podcast you mentioned in a great scottish accent all the stuff about secular humanism and i just thought we have to delve into that topic more. It just sounds so fascinating. <laughs> the way and the way you say it, secular humanism. You know, oh, like Sean yeah. Connery, secular humanism. I know, I know. Sean Connery, the one and only. I've never met any other Scotsman that speaks like Sean. It's quite amazing the way he speaks. It kind of gets your attention. You can hear by the poor impersonation. Yeah. It's not my normal job, but never mind. Yes, well, I'm, I'm planning to do a, a rap podcast with another couple of impersonators and we'll see how long we can get it to go for you know so. <laughs> go for it Nikos go for it so secular humanism what in the world does that mean oh my goodness that's a good question Nikos I'll try and be as brief as I can in my answer because we both know and probably most of um, your listeners know there's nothing new under the sun and that applies to humanism. Um, secular humanism is really a branch at the moment of modern humanism. Um, but then modern humanism was greatly influenced once upon a long ago by ancient Greece and Rome. We're going way back to 900 BC all the way through to 500 AD. In fact, ancient Greece and Rome is considered the birthplace of modern Western thought, culture, and philosophy. And a lot of the ideas swishing around ancient Greece and Rome um, have a large impact on modern humanism today. But just to let you know that all these ideas and the world has always floated on an ideational ocean. Uh, we've always been a, a planet, a a society that's been governed by dominant ideas. But way back in 1500 BC, uh, there was in India something called the Lakaita system, where academics arose questioning ancient Hindu texts, or Vedas, as they're known as, and questioned the existence of God. Uh, the supernatural, etc. So it would appear in every cycle of the human race, there's dominant ideas that come through powerful cultural, cultural voices, basically 
saying there is no God and the natural world is all we have. And modern humanism would definitely communicate along those lines. But secular humanism is a more robust form of humanism and seeks to remove all religions and God from society. Just to complicate the programme even further, there's even religious humanism, which is a contradiction in terms. But what it really means is um, some practitioners actually are ordained and conduct humanist rituals um, on a religious basis. Weddings, funerals, and some more liberal humanists would be more universal in their approach to the things of God, believing that there's many ways to God. But if you examine the most virulent strain of modern humanism, it would definitely park up in the area of secular humanism, Nikos. So what's the origin of this word humanism? It's actually a modern word, really. It's a, a word that's a new term, but the concept's been around for centuries. I to summarise it, you could say humanism, in simple terms, focuses on the natural world and holds an ideology that there's no God, that what you see is what you get. And it came out of a specific moment in time. Mm -hmm. And we've all evolved. Everything has evolved over millions of years. But human beings, well, humankind is the highest being in existence. All godless were nothing other than a biological accident on a planet that was an accident of a specific event historically. And we're just biological blobs existing in a planet full of other biological blobs with no rhyme or reason to our existence and a grand narrative of humanism would state that life is basically absurd with no ultimate meaning or destiny. Sounds a bit like nihilism. I'm sure that Nihilism was influenced by um, historical concepts propagating the ideas that we now hold, or I don't hold dear to, but modern society um, identifies in modern humanism. Would you say that a large proportion of the British public, or the public as worldwide people would be, if they had, didn't have a religion, would be secular humanists? Well, it's not necessarily true on a global basis. Um, it would apply to Western Europe in particular. Eastern Europe was dominated by an ideology called communism. And that's all 30 years um, gone now. Um, after the Berlin Wall came down and the Soviet Union ceased to exist, it was too mainstreams of thought that came into the Soviet Union and to Eastern European satellite nations. One would be a, a conversion to Christian thought 
a recognition that there is a creator God and and in the case of multiple millions of former citizens of the Soviet Union, a genuine faith in Christ Jesus. But running parallel with that in Eastern Europe, there was a conversion to secular humanism too. Um, in many ways, the Soviet Union was a nation state governed by humanism. And the Eastern European satellite nations were governed by humanism, finding the root in atheistic belief where there is no God, God's a human invention, and putting in place uh, the rule and reign of the proletariat, proletariat. But in modern terms, this new strain of humanism is um, changing some of the core components of um, of the Marxist socialism that spawned the Soviet Union. But in the UK in particular, um, secular humanism appears to be having her way, but it's not entirely the truth. Uh, modern sociologists and commentators would have us believe now that generally the great British public do not believe in God and are products of evolutionary thought. Essentially, atheists, to all intents and purposes, while some would at least seek a halfway house between being an atheist and a believer and saying, I'm agnostic. That isn't really the case in the United Kingdom. Um, a, a highly respected sociologist called Gracie Davis has stated that the UK is a persistent paradox. When it comes to religion in Britain, um, it's a persistent paradox. Well, the bulk of the British population actually practice vicarious religion. And what I mean by that, Nikos, or what Gracie means by that, is the bulk of the people in the UK are not influenced by the church any longer. We are not discipling the nation anymore. And, and we know that. But while they would not want to attend church or follow any of the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith in a practical sense, they want the minority to believe for the majority, that ch churches still dominate um, modern cityscapes in the UK, uh, in, in many cases British cities are populated with magnificent cathedrals going back a couple of centuries and the British public want the church to be there to guide them through the rites of life, for example baptisms, weddings, funerals. Uh, there's still that sense of, we're not getting involved with you. We believe, but we don't want to belong. Um, but meanwhile, you believe for the majority of us yeah. that are not attending church or following the orthodoxy of the Christian faith. Interestingly enough, in an era of great moral decline, in the UK, 
the British public that would loosely identify as being a vicarious uh, believer um, expect church leaders in this land to live up to biblical moral standards and not secular moral standards. Henceforth, uh, Mrs. Davis' um, analysis of religion in Britain being a persistent paradox is a very accurate way of describing the historical influence of the church in the UK and also looking at the complexity and diversity of modern British life that we are finding our own way forward in really an age of secularism. Uh, and our journey in the UK would look different from a lot of nations in Western Europe who are now pretty much governed by secular humanism. Can you give a little bit of background on what this, where this word secular comes from, if you're aware of it? Well, secular yeah. is essentially a word that emphasises atheistic principle. A secular society would mean a godless society, a society without God. It's the, it's the antidote to a Christian society, um, a, a secular society. And secular humanism wants to remove all traces of religion and God from society. Uh, and it's not a mere mission statement. It's something that has been worked at strategically and with great consideration and attention being given to remove God and all religions. From, from the public square in the UK. So secular and humanism are best understood together, Nikos, because we're living in what's a full-on attack of secular humanism in the UK right now. Mm -hmm. And why do you think it's so dangerous? Well, understand the very nature of the beast and understand the strategy of secular humanism. It's not found on the periphery of our society. It's highly organized and humanist organizations have high level politicians, high level academics and very wealthy individuals in their ranks. The International Humanist and Ethical Union for example, is a mega power that we would never really hear anything about in our, our broadcasts day by day in mainstream media. But when you unpack how big the international humanist and ethical union really is, she represents global humanist movement. Um, she's a covering for 116 member organizations in 50-something countries. So there's a lot of influence working right now, not in terms of ideas bombarding the British or Western European populations, but actually working in their institutions. And the long-term aims of the 
international humanist and ethical unionist to promote humanism as a non-theistic life stance throughout the world to represent humanists within the international community to build a strong and effective global organization and to develop organized humanism in every part of the world and there's four aspects of that strategy that really has taken hold in all of our institutions including education and in my childhood Nikos God played a big part in the life of my primary school we said the Lord's Prayer every morning there were assemblies where our local Church of Scotland minister would minister the preach the word of God and we would sing hymns but all that's long gone now it's almost a scandal to bring the Christian faith into local government national government into business into education in fact when Tony Blair the British Prime Minister was brought to power by the electorate in 1997 his press secretary Alistair Campbell made a statement um, to the, the media who were beginning to probe Tony Blair's personal faith, something that's very personal to him and, and something that is meaningful to our former Prime Minister. Alistair Campbell's robust response was simply, we don't do God. That throwaway expression, while it that statement was made 23 years ago as a yardstick to how much the UK had secularised then and has continued to secularise from that moment on. If our present Prime Minister Boris Johnston, Boris Johnson addressed the nation and said at the end of his address, God bless the United Kingdom, that would do more than raise eyebrows. It would be on the front page of every newspaper tomorrow and would be banner headlines in all, in all the news channels tonight. Whereas in contrast, the United States of America is too in the process of secularizing. But if the American President Donald Trump were to say at the end of an address, God bless America, that would be acceptable because there's still a very strong and active Christian culture in America. An evangelical voting bloc that politicians respect mightily. And the president of the U.S.'s words, God bless America, would have considerable resonance in the U.S. with a British prime minister going down the same pathway in the U.K., well, there would be no residents and probably a moral and political outrage. There'd be a, a real outcry in the back of it. But this um, whole business of secular humanism has four stages of expansion that's been in operation for some time. It began probably at the end of the Second World War with humanists beginning to point at the fight that the European nations that fought the Second World War were supposedly Christian nations that came under the very reasonable 
um, headline of what on earth was going on there. Where was God in all of this? Where Christian nations were fighting one another. Mm-hmm. So as me, as cultural voices began to introduce secular ideas, they appealed for tolerance. In fact, in America, the whole Judeo-Christian ethic um, came alive at the end of the Second World War where Christians being aware of the Holocaust in, in um, Europe uh, had a tremendous compassion for the Jewish people and they formed a, a think tank, a, a forum where Jewish people and Christians could exchange ideas, try and find common ground. Over the decades, the whole Judeo-Christian ethic has expanded to now include other faiths, principally Islam, but more recently the anti-faith of secular humanism. And where we're really going with this we've seen the whole process go from tolerance listen to our ideas to a demand for equality in a society and the, the populations of of western europe have embraced the demands of secular humanism that's resulted in the reversal of the old social and moral order and uh, application of humanist values. Now we see an era of aggressive action uh, taking place where the UK has not experienced this yet, the persecution of Christians, but she certainly has experienced, she certainly has experienced discrimination against Christians in the workplace, in politics, in Christian businesses who are trying to apply Christian values to their businesses. Uh, And it's becoming more difficult to be a Christian in the UK now because of the advancing of the humanist agenda. But when we look at what's happening in other nations of the earth, principally Islamic nations, where everyday believers lose their life because they stand firm for the testimony of Jesus. They can't really extend the word um, persecution to a UK context. It's more discrimination, Nikos, but persecution is coming. The other side of the argument, Nikki Campbell, a, a, a broadcaster, in the BBC put together a documentary in 2010 putting the question to the population are Christians being persecuted and I still don't think we are being persecuted um, because there's still a subliminal influence of the Christian faith amongst British citizens that are engaging in what I said earlier, something called vicarious religion. But what's most astonishing about this national forgetfulness 
that swept across the land is how much Christianity has actually done for the United Kingdom, Nikos. And, and it's considerable. It's foundational. It's a lot we could celebrate as part of our cultural heritage. The church gave communities a capacity to form strong social cohesion, especially in smaller towns and villages. The church was a place where people would come along to be involved in the rites of life, baptisms, weddings, funerals. The church was also given British culture, Christmas and Easter, with the attendant holidays that go with that. And over the centuries, it was a church in the UK that educated the rich and poor alike. They gave this land hospitals. We have in the UK the very roots of nursing, finding their origins in the Christian faith. The hospice movement was inspired by the Christian faith. In fact, many charities that are household names today have Christian foundations but they're downplaying their Christian foundations. So what astonishes me is this national forgetfulness that's taking place um, in the land. But we are in a war against the forces of secular humanism. I would say up until recently, it's a war that secular humanism has won in terms of taking the culture captive, but in the wake of COVID-19 and the fact the UK is going through a massive reset presently with trinkets and material life and wealth doesn't really matter anymore. It's all about family, keeping healthy, looking out for others, making sure everyone has food and is, is being supported. Well, we're seeing a we're seeing a shift towards what I recognise as Christian values being embraced once again by the great British public. Wow, that's tremendous, tremendous stuff, my friend. Thank you, Nikos. So, so what's the difference between secular humanism and atheism? I don't think there's any difference. Um, atheism is a major component, in fact, a core truth in the spawning of modern humanism generally and secular hum humanism specifically. It's a simple belief system that there is no God. And if a, a humanist was asked to justify that, to quantify it, we say it's easy. God's nothing other than an invention of the human mind. A belief in God and the creation of religions came out of the human mind and is dangerous to society. Religion and a concept of God actually retards and slows down human development. So it's a foundational truth. We at the other side of the same coin would have as a, a foundational truth in our own life that 
God is creator God and he sent his son Christ Jesus to die for the sins of the world to redeem the human race and from that core truth we have a Christian faith the humanist or the secular humanist has the exact opposite propagating their ideology but to me it's more like a faith or an anti-faith it's certainly very religious in nature because secular humanism has sought to proselytize so secular humanism would claim that there is no morality then correct secular humanism practices moral and ethical relativism which means the shorthand there's no moral absolutes or ethical standards it's down to situational ethics you and or I or any of the listeners tuning in depending on their own situation can make a personal choice um, a moral choice an ethical choice and unless it breaks the law of the land well we're entitled to make that um, personal choice regardless of the pain that choice will inflict upon others secular society will applaud a right to make that very choice it's essentially individualistic nikos and moral and ethical terms where each person develops their own rules for life which means on the back of no god all religious instruction is considered irrelevant so if secular humanism claims immorality, a morality, then what claim do they have to say that their way is better than sort of a religious dogma way that they're claiming or anything? They have nothing they have no no claim to to why their way is better, so why would they propagate it? Well they believe as secular humanists would believe they are at the cutting edge of the advancing of mankind. Um, the belief in science and technology is a major component along with individual happiness being an individual uh, a massive component and the individual happiness bit actually sounds quite reasonable but what it means in practical terms is people can pursue individual happiness even at the expense of others so if person makes a moral decision to leave his wife of 35 years or her husband of 20 years to begin life with another individual then the morality and ethics of secular humanism would say well if they're making that personal choice to propagate their own happiness in this life because this life's all we have then that's okay So how far behind do you think America is to the UK in terms of the uh, advancement of secular humanism? She's catching up, but we're way further down the road. I travel frequently to the United States, and of course, and there's still a strong Christian witness there. And there's a Christian culture that's still palpable in the US. In fact, the, the gospel is designed to 
disciple nations and penetrate cultures. Uh, and there's evidence of that um, all over the USA. There's certainly areas of the US that are very liberal now and given over to secular humanism. A lot of the northeast um, seaboard of America, the, the states that are all part of that region in America would be very liberal. But there's a Bible Belt uh, in the south. I've been in parts of Oklahoma and Texas that would really have you believe this is a Christian country. It's absolutely everywhere. But for whatever reason, at the end of the Second World War, the British public were quite happy to shed the skin of formal Christianity. And when there was the explosion of pop culture, beginning in the 1950s, but really impacting the 1960s, that became a vehicle for really the moral values of secular humanism, the ethical values of secular humanism, and the dissolving of family and community. Uh, you can see there's been cultural threads um, since the end of World War II that have had a great bearing on the hearts and minds of, of British citizens. America went down a, a trouble pathway after World War II, nudging into the 60s. It was a particularly troublesome decade in America's history. But the values of America's forefathers were still very much part of the social and moral fabric. A hundred or so years ago, Nikos, at the beginning of the 20th century, America was basically made up of very simple, God-fearing um, people, the majority living in rural settings, where you could go to bed at night with your door unlocked, and the Bible was read at every meal, and prayers were part of home life. Um, over a century on, there's certainly big shifts cataclysmic shifts in America's spirituality, morality and, and ethics. But the UK, up until COVID-19, has been a flagship, if you like, for America to follow into the abyss of secular humanism. So what would you say is the end goal of secular humanism, their perfect ideal? What, was it, what would it be look like in a human society? It would be basically a, a recognition we live in a godless universe and there is no God and there would be a humanist agenda for every nation on earth to just simply live out their existence on the principles and, and the principles of secular humanism. All we have is now, live for the moment, make the most of it. There's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no Messiah, there's no saviour. Man is his own Messiah and society is a corporate expression of man's ingenuity. 
um, secular humanism would recognize humankind as being the highest being in existence and therefore the survival of the human race is a responsibility of humans. It narrows down to individual response, regional, national and international response. It's not a straightforward subject to discuss in terms of packaging an answer to your question, Nikos, because we're moving into God's grand narrative for the end of the age and a one world government, a one world political system, a one world economic system, even a one world religious system that would be on the periphery of all things um, globalization. So if you look at the diversity of organizations that are involved in the humanist agenda, all you can do is hit some broad strokes. But in hitting those broad strokes, there's a lot of accuracy and assumptive knowledge being developed around those broad strokes would be reliable information. The great John Lennon, the late great John Lennon, actually wrote a song called Imagine, which is a lovely ballad, hypnotic almost in terms of melody and song, yeah. but it describes the one world secular humanistic earth. And if you unpack that, and it is pop culture with a philosophical bent, a secular humanist bent, sometimes it takes a song to explain a lot of complex theory and to delve into even more complex answers. So when you go to America and you meet someone at the airport and they ask you, what do you do? What do you say to them? Going through customs, Nikos. <laughs> well, yeah, well, not really that, but uh, like just you meet somebody at the airport that you're not, you're not planning to meet or just somebody in the street there that's not part of the well, territory you're going to. There's usually coffee shops that have incidental mm -hmm. conversations. And I found America the most friendly nation on earth. Um, I think in the UK they're more reserved and well I've had good conversations with strangers in British coffee shops. In America everyone just appears to be a friend that you haven't met yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've had incidental conversations with many Americans on aircrafts and in coffee shops in particular. I just, I'm a pastor and I describe myself as a pastor or a missionary yeah. and um, it's interesting I've had conversations in America with guys my own age maybe a bit younger yeah. and they'll say well I don't really believe um, I don't go to church and they'll talk I think it's they're trying to put a boundary in place in case I start to hot gospel them but once we've got on a good social vibe together We've got into a groove and we're talking comparative politics or sharing our mutual love of music, whatever it may be. They'll say, but do you know, know something? My grandmother was a Pentecostal. Or when I was younger, I went to a Methodist church and I learned 
really good truths there from a, a, a Sunday school teacher who took an interest in me. So even my generation of Americans that have been secularised to a greater degree still have a reference point to some Christian roots in their life. Yeah. So I know we've got we've got about eight minutes before you go out and congratulate the NHS. Would be good, would be good to have you on again sometime to talk about why you became a Christian. Because from what I remember, you you were a bit of a Glasgow hard man. Well, I may have I may have looked like one, but I was a big coward inside because yeah. unless I was in a catatonic rage brought on by excessive amounts of alcohol, I really wasn't much of a hard man. Um, I was a big softy generally and looking back but if I was angry I never lost a fight put it that way but I'm not <laughs> proud of that I'm far from proud of that but alcoholic brain damage I think alcohol in large parts of my brain so my love language was anger and rage and anyway God saved me from that and would love to come on the show at some stage and share um, my journey it might be a good thing Nikos as we look to wrap up to consider the implications of all of this for an authentic church in the UK to arise at this time. Yeah. You okay with that? Yeah, sure. It's only four quick bullet points. And I believe COVID-19 has impacted the church in the UK um, profoundly. And we're only really beginning our journey through COVID-19. And I do believe God will repurpose the church and repurpose ministry outside of COVID-19. But we're going to become, in the grace of God, real communities of Jesus Christ. We're finding that people really matter again. We are in self-isolation. Having a conversation with a live human being is a rarity now and to be cherished. And in that sense of people matter, not just as a buzz expression or something we put on our car bumper, but an attitude of heart means that churches, I believe, will become real communities of Jesus Christ to face down secular humanism and to give the population an alternative. I also believe that churches are going to become communities of action. But we're not just going to sit on our blessed assurances every Sunday, but in the grace of God, we're going to be envisioned to reach our communities with substance, whatever that means. But faith and action have always gone together in the mission, missional history of the church. I also believe we're going to become communities of forgiveness and acceptance because the modern psyche, even living, in a so-called godless society, living under the so-called liberation of moral and ethical relativism. Modern society is punctuated by many suffering from deep guilt because their conscience is troubling them over historical behaviours. And we can become a community of forgiveness and acceptance to work with British citizens, to bring them to that place of not only knowing forgiveness before God, but acceptance by God and acceptance by the 
community of believers that they're identifying with. But I also believe that the Christian response to secular humanism will just simply be emphasising the advantages of being a Christian today. Not trying to justify them or say, I know it sounds silly, but this is what I believe. Goodness, it makes you want to beat your chest like Tarzan and scream as loud as you can. Christianity offers forgiveness in God, a place of living in his son Christ Jesus, a purpose not only in this life, but purpose in the life to come. Christianity can offer the human race the grace of God, which means people can experience God doing things in their life that they could not do for themselves. I think it's time for the church to man up. It's a time for the church to boast about the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel. And while the enemy has come in like a flood, the flood of secular humanism, the battle belongs to the Lord. And as long as there's a, a believing church on earth, God will have a mouthpiece. Fantastic, sir. Well, I'm going to look forward to listening to this one a few times. Thank you, Nikos. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed being here tonight as well. Um, have a good week and look forward to catching up with you soon. Okay, thanks, Al. Thanks, Nikos. Okay, and thank you, my audience and my listeners. For it's uh, Alan Ross, pastor and prophetic minister from Glasgow, and you're on listeners listening to Influencers Cafe. If you have any spare time, it would be great to leave a review of the show on iTunes because it's, uh, I don't think I've got one yet, but uh, it really helps the show, helps the uh, people hear these sort of, sort of helpful messages. So thanks very much, and see you again shortly. Bye-bye.